This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Yeah, it was a wonderful time in the Ukraine, and I, I want to thank the church for allowing them, the team from here, to come. Uh, you know, the suffering and the dangers that we experienced there. I'm not even going to try and venture and tell you about all that. Otherwise, it'll put you off missions for the rest of your lives. All right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, we, we are to talk to you about marriage and family. And uh, you are so privileged that you live in this age and this time when you've got all the facilities of... Uh, uh, marriage prep and uh, marriage enrichment seminars and how to raise godly children's families. We never had those. You know, for us, for you, I mean, it's like walking the park. For us, we learned by experience and it was more like a walk in Jurassic Park. <clears throat> so, hence, you can see where I lost most of it. Uh, Fortunately, my wife just turned gray. Uh, but I hope, and, and what, whatever we're going to share with you this morning is what we have learned through experience and what we have learned from other people by counseling them in marriage and in family life. Uh, can you just put that first clip on? You see there, under fiction in the bookshop, the perfect wife. Now, you'll find this morning, I'll concentrate mostly on speaking to the men folk. Because who can understand the way a woman thinks? I mean, it's impossible. Can you just show me, uh, put on that other video? Uh, 84. 84. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, 70 wives, my 17 wives? Yes. Mm. That's a lot of wives. Yeah. What? I have one wife, which is in the can a woman share her husband with 16 other wives? Imagine me having to share my wife with 16 other men. It's impossible. I can't even imagine it. But yet women, they manage to get, a, get by it. Eh? Now, my brothers and sisters, I am not even going to start with the scripture reading because at our own wedding, the only, only thing I can remember what the Dormi said was be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And uh, so in seven years, we had six kids already. Uh, so and that's not a recipe I would uh, uh, recommend to you. Yeah. Marriages in South Africa are breaking up at an alarming rate. It poses a tremendous threat to the unity of the family and eventually, of course, to the community. A strong, safe house cannot be built with inferior, weak building blocks. Now more than ever before in our history, the family is subjected to the influence of spiritual and moral decay. However, marriage is the binding element for the family. It guarantees a healthy and a happy family life, irrespective of how rich or poor you are. No one in their right mind ventures into an unknown task without first prior preparation. For instance, any housewife buying her first washing machine wouldn't just go and switch it on before reading the instructions. But it is a fact that couples rush in where angels 
fear to tread. And they get married without any prior preparation for such a big responsibility. After all, marriage is much more precious and fragile and more complex than a washing machine. And how many couples are aware that together with the oath of covenant that they enter into on the day of marriage, that there are clear, defined roles for the husband and the wife that are to be fulfilled for their marriage to be successful. Because you can't raise a godly family without a healthy, godly marriage. And no couple is unique. What happened to the moonlight and the roses? Just about every couple uh, enter marriage uh, with a strong conviction that our marriage is going to be totally different. They are determined to skip all the problems and the potholes that they have seen or heard happening in other marriages. Because, you know, we know each other so well. Until this ring is slipped on the finger, then you really get to know him or her, eh? They are determined to keep their love light burning and the romantic excitement that they had experienced during their days of courting. Ever. Sadly, the romantic excitement does diminish. However, slowly, for most couples, when the honeymoon is over and life returns to normal, a change in the relationship does take place. They start to experience that iron sharpens iron and the sparks fly. They starting arguing over little things that they never even considered worth arguing before. The glow of that first love seems to fade. They start wondering what and where have things gone wrong. And some start to doubt, have I made a mistake? Have I really chosen the wrong partner? Now let us just discuss shortly. I think I've done this with you before, but please bear with me. Why did you really get married. The true reason for the existence of marriage. Now if I were to ask you this question, why did you get married? I'd get a a lot of uh, different answers. Maybe because it was love at first sight. Now a very good friend of mine is very honest. He says his was lust at first sight. Or the little boy who asked his dad, dad, Why did you actually marry mom? The dad turns to to his wife and says, You see, even the child doesn't understand why I ever married you. (laughs) Or maybe you married for companionship. Another one married for stability. Financial stability. Now, really guys, you cannot help it if your own parents are poor. But if your in-laws are poor, you've got no one else to blame. All right. (laughs) Or it could be an arranged marriage. Or, of course, some will say it was a match made in heaven. Now, the world we live in today is very, very cynical about marriage. And living together has become the in thing. Marriage to them is like the old ball and chain. It keeps them in bondage. It's first the engagement ring, and then the wedding ring, and then the suffering. Now... Now, people today expect marriage not to last. And if it does last, they expect it to be suffering. But that is not what God intended it to be. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So the converse must be true. It is good for man to be married, enjoyable to us. But if we do not live and conduct our marriages according to God's principles and guidelines, it is going to be unpleasant, a long suffering. Allow me to give you a definition of marriage. It's a perfect commitment to an imperfect person. Perfect commitment to an imperfect person. 
We all make mistakes. But our commitment towards the person we marry should not be dependent on their performance. It should be a covenant commitment. Yet so many young men, they think multiplication is the name of the game. That is the challenge of marriage. A perfect commitment to an imperfect person. For then your love is the same kind of love that God has taught us. A perfect God committed to imperfect man. Now listen, you listen carefully. Marriage is an ongoing, vivid illustration of what it costs to love an imperfect person unconditionally the same way that Christ has loved us. An ongoing illustration. Marriage is a covenant and not a contract. You know, it's uh, anti-nuptial contract. Usually when you get married nowadays, that's the most popular. Uh, community of property is only for those who haven't got money to well, kind of afford a lawyer. But that's a biblical one. The big difference between a covenant and a contact is that a covenant is eternal. Till death do us part. But a contract has an expiry date. Another difference is that you have a contract drawn up for your own benefit and protection. That is for what you can get out of, out of it. Because you never know what's going to happen in the future. Not so with covenant. Not for what you can get out of it, but for what you can put into it or add to it. Contract is for taking. Covenant is for giving. God gave his only son, and he still gives, and he gives, and he gives. Now, let me explain a bit about the giving part of the covenant. Most people get married believing that um, uh, the myth that marriage is a beautiful box full of all the things that they ever longed for. Companionship, intimacy, security, romance, family. But the truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. You have to put something into it before you can take anything out. There is no love in marriage. Love is in people, and people have, to got, have got to put love into marriage. There is no romance in marriage. You and I have to infuse romance into our marriages. And a couple must learn the art and form the habit, habit of loving. The, the Bible says, oh, no one anything except love. Men, my brothers, this is our God-given task in marriage. Love your wives with all your heart as Christ loved the church and he gave his life for his bride. But this love cannot be paid in monthly installments or yearly installments, like on Valentine's Day, but daily installments, daily small little things that tells her, I love Nothing will give a wife greater security than the knowledge, my man loves me. I am not ashamed to show how I love my wife in front of my kids and my grandchildren. They must see how I love her and how I treat her. Every day. One of the, glory to God, one of the, the best testimonies I had about that is one of my granddaughters studying here at Stellenbosch. She says that in a cell meeting, by the way, don't worry, it wasn't Shofar cell meeting. Uh, it, it was a ladies' cell meeting. And they were discussing this. Why should they get married? Look at my mom and dad divorced. This has happened and that's happened. Marriage not for us. We'd rather live together and get married. And she said, Come with me to Hermanus. Come and visit my opa and oma. And see how my opa loves my oma. And that will change your minds about marriage. 
Bless the Lord. My brothers and sisters, Christ obtained the church by his blood and formed a new covenant with her, an unbreakable marriage. And that is why marriage exists. That is why you got married. Staying married is about keeping covenant. Till death do us part, or as long as we both shall live, is a sacred covenant promise, the same kind Jesus made with his bride. Christ will never leave his wife. Christ keeps his covenant forever. Marriage is a display of that. It is about showing in real life the glory of the gospel. How would you feel? Or how would you conduct your life if you believed that Jesus at any time could break his covenant with you? What would be the purpose of pursuing an intimate relationship with Jesus if you knew that he was going to break his covenant with you? It is unthinkable for Christians even to consider divorce. Matthew 28 verse 20 says, I am with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that is why God hates divorce. He tarnishes the images and it cancels the promises of the bridegroom of the church. Now what is the responsibility of the husband in this marriage relationship? To love his wife completely. How does it happen that we feel we have fallen out of love? We were madly in love. We couldn't keep our eyes off them. Wrote them poems, poems about them and for them. Left them all over the house and flowers and walking along the beach. We just couldn't get enough of them. We showered all the love humanly possible on this one person. And because we shower the woman of our life with so much love, she agrees, yes, I will marry you. Why? Because you are the one that loved her the most. No young married couple believes they might ever fall out of love one day or have a problem loving each other. And I, but I don't think there's ever a couple that existed who did not ever think or say or scream, you don't love me anymore. I remember once we had an argument and the lesson said, as a Vierlichstrahl you know treff, if a thunderbolt hits you now, uh, I won't even cry. Fortunately, she didn't say, I wish. Uh, yeah. The role of the husband in marriage is to be the leader. How does he want us men to play and uh, fulfill our role? Does he want us to be autocratic and abusive? Definitely not. God says to us men, if you want to be leader, I want you to do it in a particular way. You must become leader as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Therefore, you are to love your wife completely. What is the secret of love anyway? Someone said, these wise words. He says, love is the one business in which it pays to be absolutely lavish. Give it away. Throw it away. Splash it all over. Empty your pockets. Shake the basket. And tomorrow you will have more than ever before. There it is. Men, love your wives. The Greek word for that love is agape. To love it is the same Greek word that says, for God so loved the world. It is that love with which Jesus loves the church. And when I'm commanded to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, it is the same Greek word again, agape. And it's an expressing command. It's imperative. Husbands, Love your wives. But you say, I, uh, I just don't love my wife anymore. Yeah, when you first met, she had a, a figure like a 750 Coke bottle, but now she's a two liter, and now all of a sudden, you don't, you don't love her anymore. No, no, it doesn't work like that. You love your wife. 
It is a command, and it must be obeyed. But I haven't any feelings left. Well, get them back. Is a love an emotion? Is love an emotion? Yes. Is love an action? Love acts. Love is an emotion. And when Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul and Peter said, love your wife. Do things that show your love. Love her emotionally, with feeling, passionately, with fervency, with the wonder of it all. But when your heart is hard, it is disobedient. And the Ephesians were hardened and they had lost their first love. Jesus says to them, go back and do those first things. That's the secret. How do you love your wife? You decide to obey God and then you go back and do those first works. Think about it. What did you do? What did I do when I was still head over heels in love with my wife? Go and do those things and you'll see what happens. Wives, if you read the New Testament scriptures, you will know exactly what is the key responsibility of the wife. God says, I want you to be the helper of your husband. And then then God tells her how to live in this role. He says, I want you to live in this role and to maximize it. Be happiest in it and to be a helper. Your key responsibility is to submit. You can't be a helper if you refuse to submit. You submit, submit, give honor and respect regardless of your husband needing it. You do it anyway, even if it does not deserve it. You can't, can't help it if you don't submit. You know the old saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. It is not true. The way to a man's heart is through his ego. When you praise him, when you tell him how wonderful he is, you can do and get anything your heart desires from him. We are suckers and we fall for that every time. You must submit to your own husband. If you want to go tooth and nails at somebody else's husband, go for it. But you submit respect and honor your own husband. First Peter 3 verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. The wife should submit herself to her husband. It means you, wives, do it yourself. They are to come underneath their husband themselves. Is the husband ever commanded, make your wife submit? No. Wives, it is your responsibility. Ladies, listen carefully. First Peter 3, verse 1 to 6, Peter instructs the wives to be submissive to the husbands, including the husbands who are unbelieving. Then in verse 7, he says, he instructs the husbands to live considerately with their wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And in Peter, 1 Peter 3, verse 8 to 12, Peter tells the whole church to have unity and sympathy and love and tenderheartedness and humility towards one another and not to return evil with evil. In other words, submit to each other and serve each other. Now let us briefly look at the powerful portrait of womanhood that Peter paints in these words. What we see is the deep, strong roots of womanhood underneath the fruit of submission. It's the roots that make submission the strong and beautiful thing that it is. Verse 5. This is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. The NLT says, this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. 
the deepest root of womanhood mentioned in this text is hope in God. Holy woman who hoped in God. A Christian woman does not put her hope in her husband or in her looks or in her intelligence or her creativity. She puts her hope in the promises of God. She is described in Proverbs 31.25, strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She laughs at everything the future could bring because she hopes in God. She looks away from the troubles and misery and obstacles of life that seem to make the future bleak. And she focuses her attention on the sovereign power and love of God who rules in heaven and does on earth exactly whatever he pleases. She knows her Bible. And she knows her theology of the sovereignty of God. And she knows his promises that he will be with her and help her and strengthen her no matter what happens. And this is the deep, unshakable root of Christian womanhood. And Peter makes it very explicit in verse 5. He's not talking just about any woman. He's talking about women with unshakable biblical roots in the sovereign goodness of God. Holy women who hope in God. And my brothers and sisters, I've got the joy to tell you this morning, I am married to such a woman. Her inner beauty, her internal adornment has always been much more beautiful than her external adornment. When she became born again and had herself baptized, I persecuted her with a vengeance. I tried to belittle her in front of our friends, making jokes of her, calling her a fool. And I even, I even abused her physically. But you know what? She was so hidden in Christ that every time I approached her, to hurt her, I was confronted first by the Christ in her. And when I finished abuse, abusing her, I felt a fool. And she was rejoicing in the Lord. And when I threatened, when I filed for divorce, and she said, God, but you're taking away the one person I love the most in this world. Yes, yet I choose you. And the day I realized that she loves somebody else more than what she loves me, that nearly drove me crazy and started me thinking. And God started working in my heart until I surrendered my life to God. How about you, ladies? Show far, show good. <laughs> Mature Christian women know that following Christ will mean suffering. But they leave, believe promises like First Peter 3.14, I paraphrase. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. First Peter 4 verse 19, let those who that suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is what Christian women do. They entrust their souls to a faithful creator. They hope in God. They triumph over fear. Now just something finally about submission. What sub submission is not based on. First Peter 3 verse 1 to 6. Submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. We see in verse 1, she's a, she's a Christian and he's not. He has one set of ideas about ultimate reality. She has another. Peter calls her to be submissive while is so assuming she will not submit to his view, her husband's view, of the most important person or thing in the world and in her life. And that is Jesus Christ. So, so submission cannot mean submitting to agree with all your husband thinks and says. Secondly, submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. You don't become brain dead at your wedding. It is not the unwillingness or inability to think for yourself. Submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change your husband. The whole point of this scripture 
of this text is to tell you how to win your husband for Christ. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. Verse 6 says, you are her, referring to Sarah, children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening or what your husband can do to you. In other words, submission is free, not coerced. The Christian woman is a free woman. When she submits to her husband, she does it in freedom and not out of fear. Then loyalty. When Delicia and I got married, she was the most important person in my life, and I love to believe that I was the most important person in her life. Like you, I picked that person above anyone else in the world that I ever met or ever will meet again. And we both said so at many different times and in so many different ways. And I love to express my love to her. I love singing to her. It's you, it's you, it's you, the only one I love. Oh, I, I will sing, have I told you lately that I love you? And of course, always then she says, no, you haven't. And then, <laughs> and then I have to repeat the same old ritual again of how much I love her, and then we seal it with a kiss. It's wonderful. Everything in us was telling you the truth. No dark spots. That is what and who we are. Honest with one another. Then life comes along. And it begins with challenge loyalties because the other person does not agree with us and we find we have not been too easy to live with. Never criticize your spouse in front of others, no matter what they have done. You are loyal. It goes beyond being right. Of all people I want to be loyal is my wife. Loyalty is an issue of the heart. As you do counseling, you find, find that marriages that ultimately break up apart, is, in majority of cases, it was due to unfaithfulness. Ever so often in a marriage that breaks up, it is not an issue of immorality, but an, an issue of disloyalty. Emotional loyalty means there is no other woman in my life but my wife. When you marry your spouse, I believe you give up all other friends of the opposite sex. It's over. Finished. Can you still be friends? Of course. The same way as before? Definitely not. Don't have conversations about the deep things in life with a person of the opposite sex. Don't. You are being disloyal. Don't talk about your marriage problems with a person of the opposite sex. It is at the moment that you feel the downest in your marriage that the other person looks the more attractive. And then the conversation always ends or turns to, my wife does not understand me like you do. And the enemy starts putting, laying out his trap. Don't meet a person of the opposite sex sex, unless it's your mother or your sister or your daughter. Otherwise, the following might happen. Can I have the next video, please? If anything here knows of any just cause or impediment why these two should not be joined together in holy matrimony, let them speak now (laughs) and forever hold their peace. is already married. He married me three years ago. And don't let him deny it. I've got the marriage certificate to prove it. Oh, sorry. Wrong church. shortage is about conflict. I'm coming to the end now, all right? Conflict is a natural part of marriage. 
When two individuals become interdependent, they live together, decide together, sleep together, their relationship is subjected to all kinds of stress. That is quite normal. And it's not due to any shortcomings in him or her. Now men, just want to beware. When your wife laughs during an armed argument, please know that the psycho part of her brain has just been activated. A bored mission. Okay. Why? Why all this conflict? There are several reasons why conflict is such a natural part of the marriage relationship. They may differ from couple to couple, may differ from couple to couple, but I'll briefly discuss just some of the reasons. Delisi will do the temperament. There's a mutual decision making. We had our final say when we were still single. We could make our own decisions without consulting anybody, but marriage changes all that. Suddenly we have the love of our life who has an equal share in decision-making. Their ideas and likes and dislikes must now be taken into consideration, and because we each have our own unique personalities, there will always be different opinions. Nobody wants to get married to a weakling. We all want our partners who who can think for themselves. We have some backbone. But then we must expect problems when we have to decide together what type of furniture, color the curtains, where we are going to live, our next holiday, finances, how many kids. It's not a question of will there be any differences, but rather how we handle the differences. Now, my wife, she, if I, she's got this thing, if I dare leave house, home for a day or two, when I come back, the whole house has been rearranged. Now, uh, I'm not against change. She loves sudden change, but I, uh, I like rather gradual change because then it takes me quite a few days to get the furniture back again to exactly where it was before. Uh, second one is natural decline in communication. One of the most exciting aspects of courting is the amount and depth of communication between two individuals, madly in love. From deep discussions to just sweet nothings. But eventually the communication starts to decline. Now they rarely find the time to share inner feelings with one another. Now it's cell phone and Facebook and Snapchat. And of course we men have this weakness that we are not good communicators. That is why we need a helper. You must really help us to learn how to communicate. Men usually communicate in headlines, while women revel in the fine print. They love detail, and that is why they are natural communicators. Ladies, but then there's something else that you have to believe about this. You really have to believe this. Something that you do not possess, so you cannot argue about that, because your, wire, your brains are wired like spaghetti. You, know, bzz, bzz. you can think of a thousand things at the same time. While men have got linear thinking, we can only think of one thing at a time. We do that, and then we'll take the next thing. And ladies, be, believe it or, or not, then we often slip into our nothing box. We can sit there for hours all by ourselves, think about nothing. Please accept this fact. I want to give you a good example. And don't try and, 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 and uh, uh, get, uh, get us out of that trance that we are in by just talking and talking and talking. Let me give you this good example. This is excellent. No, 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 no. Not that one. Yeah. Ja. Was machst du da? Nichts. Nichts? Wieso nichts? Ich mache nichts. Oh no, is the English not there? Gar nichts? Nein. No, sorry. Überhaupt nichts? Nein. No, sorry, uh, just cancel that because it, uh, it's uh, 
unless you can all speak German. So, <laughs> but in any case, she, he, well, he just wants to sit there, and she keeps on talking, 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 and uh, eventually giving giving him the uh, uh, telling him that he's totally wrong. But one of our strong points is that we don't easily forget. Man, I read this about this true story. A couple were, 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 were Chris, uh, Christmas shopping, and the shopping center was packed, and as the wife walked around, she was surprised that her husband wasn't there anymore, and she, nowhere to be seen. So she was quite upset because they still had such a lot of things to do. So she called him on the, on the cell phone, and she said, Where are you? And uh, in a gentle, loving voice, she says, My darling, remember five years ago, in the same shopping center, we walked into this jeweler shop. And there was this diamond necklace. You fell in love with it. Do you remember? And of course, she choked up. She started crying. She says, yes, I remember that. She says, well, I'm in the pub next door. And the third one is inherent tendencies. It might come as a shock to realize, now this is serious, all right. It might come as a shock to realize that with the fall of man in Eden, God also pronounced a curse over the marriage relationship. God's foremost purpose for the man and woman was that they would live together as equal partners, where each one would fulfill a particular role. However, when sin tarnished the marriage relationship, God said to Eve in Genesis 3, uh, 16, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. In other words, your desire does not mean a loving longing because the only other time that Moses uses this Hebrew word is in Genesis 4 verse 7 where the Lord said to Cain, if you do well, you will Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. We know that sin is not a loveful longing, but the desire to control and dominate. The curse pronounced over the woman is that she will desire to control her husband. And in return, he will want to rule over her. Just think of the emancipation of women and women's rights movement and male chauvinism. Every time a wife tries to dominate her husband or when he tries to control his wife, it leads to conflict. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. A marriage relationship is hard work. Marriage can be heaven on earth. Be prepared to change. Right, you can just throw Marty on this on the board again, right? So, ladies, there is hope. Men can change, and I just wanted to close with this. Uh, about thirty years ago, uh, uh, was it what was his name? Louis, Louis Malherbe, he tragically died in a motorcycle accident. And he said, it is my first marriage landed on the rocks because I was the most important man in my life. Most important person. He says, my second marriage failed because my wife became my most important person in my life. He says, my third marriage is a success because Jesus Christ has become the most important person to us both. Amen. The listening. I want to read you a scripture, and that is the picture for a wife. If you can find a truly good wife, she's worth more than precious gems. Her husband can trust her. And she will richly satisfy his needs. 
Now, now these scriptures that I'm going to read is like a mirror. God says that we look into the mirror and we must judge and see where we stand. She will not hinder him, but she will help him all of her life. Now, if you hinder your husband, is that if you don't agree with how he operates or you're blocking the whole time. So she doesn't do that. Then she buys wool and she spins and she buys imported foods brought by ship from distance. But she's got very fancy taste, not just shop right. She gets up before dawn to prepare a breakfast for her husband. And then she plans the day's work for her household. Very important. And the beautiful thing, she's into um, buying houses and land. She goes out to inspect a field and buys it. And with her own yard, she plants a vineyard. And she can be a winemaker. Did you know that? She's energetic. She's a hard worker. And this I love. She watches for bargains. She works far into the night. She sows, she gives to the, uh, generally she helps those in need. She has no fear for the winter, so everybody's warmly dressed. And then this, I want to end with this. Her husband is well known, for he sits in the council chamber with other civic leaders. If you are a real helper, he will be lifted up. You will hear just now. Then she's a woman of strength and dignity, and she has no fear of old age. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule for everything she says. The way she speaks to her husband, kind. The way she speaks to her children, with kindness. With the people that she works with, the rule of her lifestyle, her words is kindness and then uh, she goes through her household and is never lazy her children stand and bless her and so her husband now this is the mirror for the men if girls if you are a helper for your husband like this God wants us to be then this will happen happy is the man who delights in serving the Lord His children shall be honored everywhere, for good men's sons and daughters have a special heritage. He himself shall be wealthy, and his good deeds will never be forgotten. When darkness overtakes him, light will come bursting in. He's kind and merciful, and all goes well for the generous man who conducts his business fairly. Such a man will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression. He does not fear bad news or live in dread of what might happen because his wife is helper. She believes in him. She stands with him. She supports him. All these things. He's settled in his mind that Jehovah will take care. That is why he's not afraid. He gives generally to those in need. He will have influence and honor. Would you like to have a husband like that? Isn't it beautiful? So I'm just going to share practically. Johnny asked me uh, very in five minutes to raise a godly family. So I was, you know what, when the, when, when the kids were born, the triplets were born, it was disastrous. You know, the oldest was seven and it was three babies, so the one gets measles. And now I try to keep the one measles baby from the other measles baby. And then I thought, no, I one bowl of porridge, one spoon, they all got measles as they were being fed. And then chicken pox, that is, it was like a terrible thing. But that stage I loved the most is where God started to change me. Because every few years or months I say, Lord, are you still happy with me? And then he always says no. Still now, 
up till this time, but now it's every few months because I'm much older. But those years I was proud and I thought I've made it, you know, we saved and all that stuff. So the teenagers were like wild horses. Like you couldn't hold them in. They were like wild horses, teenagers. So I was desperate and I prayed and I said, Lord, what can I do? And God sent this book, uh, The Spirit Control Temperament by Tim LaHaye. We each different, four different temperaments, each with his strengths and his gifts and so on. So uh, it was a revelation for us. We looked at our kids with different eyes, temperaments, strengths, weaknesses, but the teenagers always came to me and they resisted Johnny's leadership as their dad. They say, Mom, Dad is like this and that. He doesn't understand. He doesn't come and watch us when we play rugby. He's not interested. That is what they came to me and they tried to, to turn me, take me on their side against their dad. But, you know, I never, never did that. And uh, then when we did this spirit control temperament, Johnny's temperament in leadership was Moses and Churchill. He was melancholic. What? What? Melancholic. Johnny was always see the sad. sad. (laughs) In any case, doesn't matter. After God was finished with Moses, he said Moses was a friend. He was the meekest man that ever lived, and he was a friend of the Lord. And that's what I can say of my husband. As we walked the road, he became the meekest man, and really he's a friend of Jesus, and such an example to me. But it's a process. So the teenagers came, and and I said, Lord, again, once more, what's wrong with me? And the Lord said to me, showed me the past few months, they were 14 years old, where I've been wrong. I was very, very strict. Only rules, no grace. And God showed me different situations where I've been completely wrong. I was completely wrong, but I meant it sincerely, but I was wrong. So they came home and the Lord said, I want you to ask them for forgiveness specifically each one of them. So they came home. It was a hot summer's day. And I said, I want to speak to you. You know, your kids know you through and through. I just said, I want to speak to you. The one said, mom is a heavy stuff. The other one said, keep it short. The other one said, I'm hungry. (laughs) And you know what? I thought, I'm not going to get through to them. So what happened? I started to cry. I never cried before the kids. And so I asked them for forgiveness and I really, I was so broken before the Lord. And then the one, um, Marina, he, he sat next to me and he put his arm around my shoulder. He said, Mom, can I pray for you? I said, yes. He said, Jesus, thank you. And from this day, our mother is not our mother anymore, but our sister in the Lord. And that just put us now. I can't shunt them around anymore. We are now level. I'm now their sister. And today I'm still their sister in the Lord. <laughs> they shunt me around. Yes, and then uh, if there's people with teenagers, you know, um, your child many times are right and you are wrong. Just believe that. That's the truth, eh? So my oldest son wanted to have a, a bergfietse What's it? Motorbike. He wanted a motorbike. And he went to his dad, and Johnny was very busy. There was no time for friendship, for nice chats and so on. He just said no. So he came to me and says, Mom, I really want a motorbike. I feel that the Lord wants me to have one. <laughs> so, so I said to him, listen, Tommy, let's pray. So we prayed about it, and then I said, but if you can get a scripture to give your dad... Then you've got the word behind you. Three, three days later, he came to Johnny and he says, Dad, God gave me a scripture. And they mounted their royal horses and drove off at top speed. <laughs> that was in Kings. Kings. So Johnny didn't have any words. And three days later, his friend phoned from Nisna, our friend, and he says, Johnny, can I give my son's old mountain bike to you? I've bought him a new one. So isn't God faithful? 
And yes, it's so fantastic. Listen, what I want to share with you is that raising kids, don't think of it as a schlep. It's only a season. When they're small, before they become teenagers, maybe a little bit easier. But if you can win their friendship, it is a wonderful adventure. Yes, and then Johnny talks so much about submission. I wanted him to let me speak about submission. But when God, again, <laughs> again, I said, God, what's wrong? Is there anything wrong? And the Lord says, yes, you don't trust your husband. You don't trust his husband. Uh, you don't trust his judgment. And uh, I never trusted him. He was working hard, counting tablets, serving the people. And then I say to him, how do you, I never see you pray. How can you hear the voice of the Lord? And he says, my darling, I can serve the customers, I can count in tablets, and I pray in tongues. But I still didn't believe that he could hear the voice of the Lord. So I said to God, all right, Lord, I will submit to him in everything but just for three weeks. (laughs) Because I know it's not going to work. And then in three weeks, I can bite on my teeth, I will... I will really submit. So I took the challenge. And you know, a wonderful thing happened. A very famous pastor from overseas came to speak about hearing the voice of God. We went to listen to him. And after three days, we went back to Franschuk. And that night, I said, Johnny, it was a revelation for me out. How this man hears the voice of the Lord. And he very dryly said to me, that's what I've been trying to tell you all these years. That is how I hear the voice of the Lord. I said, like this famous preacher, he said, exactly the same. So what? Then we had to decide, are we going to come to Franschuk or not? We were in the northern Transvaal that time. And I was praying and fasting. And I got my three scriptures and a little prophecy. But by this time, the Lord, I've learned not to tell him. This says the Lord. So I was quiet. And it was in those three weeks. So I prayed and I prayed. And every time then I would say to him, hasn't the Lord showed you anything? Then he says, no, I will tell you if God speaks to me. I thought, will he ever hear the voice of the Lord? So after three weeks, he came home from the pharmacy. He says, you know what? We're moving to Franschhoek. By that time, God's given me scriptures. We're going to move south three days far. And with our everything, it'll be a valley of vineyards and fruit trees, everything out of the word. But now he says, I said, how did, the God sp- how did God speak to you? He says, no. He buys the farmers weekly, once a week. And on the front page, it was a picture of Franschuk Valley. He says, and when he saw that, he knew that God wants him. So God spoke to him out of the farmers weekly. Isn't that fantastic? So listen, Ladies, what I want to say is in God gave me this revelation. God speaks differently to man and a woman. He comes alongside like the Emos uh, brothers that walked. Jesus came alongside. God comes alongside a man and he speaks to him through his gut feeling like this, like a friend. We've got the time to pray and get scriptures. Do that. That's my style. But trust your husband if he says, I know must do this. Yes, and then I'm done now. Um, What I want to really share with you is I can tell you many, many things, but um, life together in trusting one another, and if you help your husband, if you honor him, don't worry to submit. God will change his mind if he's wrong, and you will have the joy of seeing that. You know what, uh, Johnny reminded me very much. You get the different Abram and Isaac and David and all those heroes of the Bible. My husband was like a Gideon. He was hiding. He had an inferior, inferiority. I thought, oh, you know, this husband of mine, what will ever happen? I saw that he had something that God had placed there, but he was hiding. But when God filled him with the Holy Spirit... He got out of that, that place and he just ran and I thought, who did I get married to? So there's hope. God bless you. Thank you for listening. 
Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.